Amen, church. Have a seat. Hey, let's uh, just thank Tommy, my friend, for leading worship this morning. Appreciate you, bud. Tommy is from where I grew up. He's from Georgetown, Texas. Drove all the way this morning um, just to come lead us, so super grateful for you. It's super fun just to worship with you guys. It's a, a rare chance I have to come and just hang out and worship with y'all. I love singing with y'all. Um, hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of 1 Corinthians. But before we dive in, I just want to pray for this time. Pray that God would use this time, use his word to reveal truth to us and convict us and encourage us. So let me pray for it. God, we, we thank you that your mercies are new this morning. God, we thank you that you have called us to be a church that is founded on your word. And so God, we just uh, ask this time that you speak to us, that you move in us, that you are glorified in this time. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So open up to 1 Corinthians. We're going to spend the bulk of our time in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, and we're going to go by, verse by verse. And this is what one of our uh, core values of our church is. We're biblically based. I think I have a slide up here that says that we're biblically based. Just to remind us, one of our main core values, the truth and authority of God's word are the guide for all of life. So we preach it, we teach it verse by verse, courageously and graciously, only trusting the Savior of Scripture and never systems made by man. So when we come into this time, when we look at God's word, we're not going to skip over anything that might make us uncomfortable. We're not going to tailor this message to what our felt needs are, but we're going to look at God's word. We're going to see what it says and then apply it to our lives, pray and go eat some lunch. Like that's what we're doing. Um, But one of the things that I also believe that matters when we are in God's word is something called context. Um, that we need to understand who is writing and who is writing to whom. Who's the receiver? Who's the audience? Can we apply ourselves into the audience or the speaker? What does it look like? And so because of this kind of need for context, we're going to back up and kind of look at the beginning of 1 Corinthians in chapter 1 and what's going on because it's going to really lead us and kind of launch us into our time in chapter 3. And so Paul in the beginning just kind of gives his usual Pauline address He says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those that are sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints together with all of those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he, in verse 4 through 9, he gives his usual thanksgiving. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's usual his kind of... um, intro to this, but in verse 10, in kind of one of the most blunt ways possible, Paul calls the Corinthians out. He uh, brings up some divisions that are happening in their church. And so verse 10, it says, I think we have verse 10, it says, I give, uh, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be united in the same mind, in the same judgment, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you may say you are baptized in my name. 
And in verse 16, he says he baptized a couple of other people. And, and here's what's going on, is that the church in Corinth, which is in Greece, was having quarreling and jealousy and strife and arguments over which man they would follow. And Paul was calling them out. And then in verse uh, 17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And this is where context matters, because we can read this verse and go, oh, our job as Christians is just to preach the gospel and not baptize. But we have a clear command from Christ in Matthew 28 that we are to make disciples and baptize them and teach them. But Paul's role was to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. In verse 18, it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So you can kind of sum up chapter 1, is that the Corinthians are quarreling, arguing, dividing in their church because they're putting their faith and hope in the wisdom of man and not the power of God. And Paul continues to kind of confirm that same statement when he says in the beginning of chapter 2. He says, And when I came to you, brothers, did I not come proclaiming you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom? For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible for words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why? In verse 6 it says that you're or five, it says that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but what? The power of God. So verse, or chapters 1 and 2 in the Corinthians, Paul is addressing the quarreling, and he's going to kind of squash it at the beginning of verse 3. Or chapter 3, it says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. As infants in Christ, I fed you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not ready. So Paul is saying that because of their quarreling, because of their divisions in the church, that he couldn't address them as spiritual people. Verse 3 in chapter 3, it says, for, while, for you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? And in verse 4, he's going to call back to chapter 1. For when one says, I follow Paul, or another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So Paul is putting their hope and faith back in the power of God when it comes to the growth of their church. And let me tell you, when Paul is talking about the growth, he's not talking about seat capacity. He's not talking about growth in our budget or our church staff. He's talking about maturity in Christ. As we are sanctified in our relationship with Jesus, as drawing closer to him in this process, we are grown in him. And only God, the power of God through the gospel, has the ability to do this. And then in verse 8, he says, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. And then Paul shifts this metaphor at the end of this Verse, verse 9, it says, you are God's building. And the next seven chapters, the next seven verses are where we're going to be spending our time is what does it mean for the church to be God's building and what's our role in it? And so let's read these seven verses real fast and then we'll dive in. Verse 10, it says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. 
Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer a loss, though he himself will be saved as only as through fire. Verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. This is the word of the Lord. Nobody? All right, cool. Thanks be to God. So here we are in these seven verses talking about the church being a building. And Paul is saying like a skilled master builder, he laid a foundation. He laid this foundation of Christ, which means he came to the church in Corinth, the Corinthians, and presented the gospel. And they believed it and they started to have their lives transformed by the gospel. And they started coming together as a church. And then Paul says, someone else is building upon it. So instead of in the previous text, in the previous verses, instead of him talking about him planting and Apollos watering, he is speaking generically when he says that someone else is building upon it for the same purpose of saying it's not just the role of Paul, excuse me, or Apollos to do the work of building up the church of God and the church in Corinth. Just the same, it is not the role of me or Zach, the pastors, or the staff, or the deacons to do the role of building up the church in, in the city of Katy. It is the role of everyone who calls themselves a believer in Jesus and a member of our church to do the role of building up. And it is continued to be encouraged in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. I think we'll have it on the screen. Here we go. It says, and he gave, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teaching, and the teachers to do what? To equip the saints. Let's, there we go. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So Paul is saying that it is not just the role of Paul or Apollos through the work of building up the body of Christ. Just the same, it is not just the role of the deacons, the staff, or the pastors here at Katie's First, but everyone has the role. And then right after that, Right after he gets away at this point, he gives a warning. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Because what we're going to see this morning, there are three different types of builders that go about doing this role of building on the church. There's one who builds wisely with gold and silver and precious stones. There's one that builds foolishly and in pride with wood, hay, and straw. And then in verse 16 and 17, it says that there is one who doesn't build but destroys. But before we get into that, let's talk about the foundation Right? We have this foundation in Christ as the, as the cornerstone, as the foundation of our church, but we also have Christ who's the head of our church. Colossians 1 says that we look to him as the head of the church, the body. And Jesus Christ is a foundation deeper and stronger than any foundation ever put by man. But let's talk about some foundations because this is interesting. Um, Larissa and I just moved. We're coming up on a year being in Katy, and we have a house for the first time. And uh, we love it. We've been there. We've been able to kind of grow our little family in this house, me and her and our little dog. And um, I tell you what, we, we live uh, in this kind of cool part of town. It's a lot of new stuff's building built around us, but it's a lot of good old um, Katie as well. But we live right off 99 and Clay, but just north of that at 99 and 529, there uh, is a new Target. And when we first uh, moved here, that Target was being built. 
and we got to see kind of every different phase of this target that was being built on 529. We'd see the, the foundation being laid and all the plumbing and then the building and all these different things. But how crazy would it be if we saw this huge foundation that was to hold a super target and mine and Larissa's little three-bedroom, 1,500-square-foot house was sitting on top of it? It'd be crazy, right? Well, here's the reason. Here's why. Because that's gonna, what it's going to look like if some of us doing the building of the work of Christ in this church, it's going to look like that when we're building foolishly. And here's why. There's two reasons. The first one is that you and I have taken for granted every single foundation of every single building we've ever been in in our lives. Who of us walked in this morning and said, I wonder if this church is going to just slide off this morning. It's going to fall apart. Or if we're at home, I wonder if my house is going to just, just slide off our foundation this morning. We've forsaken every single foundation that we've ever been a part of. That's what some of us were doing. But, and there's a way that we can go about building up our church where Jesus is forgotten about completely as a silent assumption. And he will not be a silent assumption. Here's the second reason. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. I think we have it on the screen. It says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So when we say God of this world, it's, it's little g God. Not our God, but the devil. He has blinded the minds of the unbelievers from seeing the foundation. They can't see the foundation, but what can they see? They can see the building. They can see the church. It's why the local church is the hope of the gospel in our local city. Because they can see the foundation. And how we build upon it matters, not just from what we see as a church, but what the world sees on the outside looking in. We can do it foolishly, we can do it wisely, we can do it in a way that destructs. So let's talk about the foolish builder first. There's an example uh, in, in King Solomon, David's son, wisest man ever. In 1 Kings chapter 6, he was put in charge of building God's temple. And at the end of 1 Kings chapter 6, you can see all of the details that it took to build God's temple. In my study Bible, I actually have this cool uh, picture of the temple. It's an incredible temple. But we're going to look at it. So Paul uh, had this incredible temple. And he overlaid this entire temple with gold and built an altar with gold and overlaid it with more gold. He had statues of cherubim and overlaid them with gold. And all the walls of the temple were engravings of cherubim and palm trees and flowers and overlaid them with gold. And you get a quick description of its completion at the end of chapter 6. It says, in the 11th year of the month of Bull, which is the 8th month, the house was finished in all of its parts and according to all of its specifications, he was 7 years in building it. Paul did a great job. He used costly, precious materials, Right? He couldn't possibly be an example of what it means to build foolishly on the foundation of the church. But right after that, in 1 Kings chapter 7, I'll read it, you don't have to turn there. It says, Solomon was building his own house for 13 years, and he finished his entire house. Not only did he spend almost twice as long building his own house as opposed to the temple he made for God, it was four times bigger. And you can see all of the beautiful descriptions of his house in 1 Kings 7. 
So church, I want you to hear me. What building foolishly on the foundation of God doesn't mean keeping all of the good stuff and giving God the leftovers, the trash, but what it more likely means is that we attend every Sunday and tithe every month here at Katie's First. It means we probably serve in a ministry or greet people or lead a Bible study. It means that we faithfully do the ministry of building up this church here in Katy, Texas, but at the very same time, we're building our own kingdom here. Pride in the heart of man wants to have a kingdom on earth that's bigger than God's. Pride in the heart of man and the Holy Spirit cannot coexist. So if we're building foolishly, I want you to hear there's a grace that's available for us this morning. If you find yourself looking at this text and hearing this message going, I think that's me, I think that's where I might be at. There's a grace that's available through Jesus to you that you can take advantage of this morning. Going, I've been investing in my own kingdom here. And I want to change that. And God offers grace and wisdom to walk in humility and repent from this and humbly and in wisdom build this church. Let's continue to look. Verse, six, verse 16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? When Paul says temple, he uses the Greek word naos, which doesn't refer to the entire tabernacle, but refers to the innermost place in the temple where the very spirit of God dwells. So when Paul says that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you, he's saying you, Katie's first, are the very place where the spirit of God dwells. And he gives a warning. He says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. What does it look like to destroy God's church? When we are faced with God's grace in the midst of our foolishness and pride and the way that we go about building up this church and use God's grace as a license to continue to sin and sow seeds of division, to gossip, to try to divide, we're no longer building foolishly but prove ourselves to be the one who destroys. And God says through Paul, it says that God will destroy him And he's not talking about an earthly kind of destroy. This is why we don't want to skip over uncomfortable parts, because it means an eternal hell kind of destroy. The one who tramples on the blood of Christ, in light of God's grace to continue to sow seeds of division in this church, is no longer the foolish builder, but the one who destroys But we know this morning, I already said it, there's grace in the midst of our foolishness. There's grace in the midst of our destruction. And hopefully not, there's not any, but not many of us that are are in either camps. But we know that there is a grace of the blood of Christ, that Christ came to live a perfect life and died on a cross for our sins and was raised to dead so that we would turn to him in this time. So this morning we have an opportunity to look what the wise builder does. The wise builder doesn't allow the foundation to be a silent assumption. The thing about the foundation, it must control the size and the materials used. It means that whenever and whatever we do here at Katie's First, we are doing it as if Jesus is doing it. It means when we're serving in the kids, we're saying, 
what Jesus says, and let the little kids come to me. It means when we're serving and we're greeting people, we're greeting them as Jesus would greet them. It means when we're coming in here and worshiping, we are worshiping the king of all kings, the majesty on high, the God who went through hell and death to come and save us, that we are worshiping Christ our king. It means that in everything that we do, we are doing it for Christ. When we submit to his authority, submit to his way, and build in a manner which is walking with him and sanctifying process with our relationship with him and growing with him, he will not be a silent assumption. We'll start to like the things that he likes and love the things that he loves and hate the things that he hates. We'll start to be the hope for the city, the hope of the gospel for the city is the local church in Katy. If we start walking with him, we'll start being like him, because Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners, we'll start inviting people into our home that don't look and talk like us. There's a way we can go about doing this as Jesus as our cornerstone, as our foundation, and our head. So this morning, we have an opportunity to really take a, take a moment, examine what God has revealed this morning through his word and go, what kind of builder am I truly am? Am I investing in my own kingdom? Am I using God's grace as an opportunity to continue to sow divisions? And we have an opportunity to go, God, I want to build the way that you build. I want to build the way that you've called me to be. Because your word says that there is a grace that we do have in this moment. And so I just want us to take a moment this morning. I want to bow our heads, close our eyes. I want to have the worship team come up. And just reflect on God's word this morning. What, what has he called you to? How are you building your own kingdom here?